We're going to look at Luke chapter 7 this morning. So I just invite you to turn there. Luke chapter 7. And maybe uh, this has happened to you before, where you are just like buried in a school project. You've worked hours and hours and hours on this project. And then at the end, you find out that there was a much easier way to do the project. Uh, Like maybe it's you've worked on this math homework and then you realize you could have used a calculator the whole time. Or you've um, taken that test, that super hard test that you studied for and you realized that it was open notes and you didn't use the notes. I I felt like this more than ever when I did a project growing up it was like a, a state history project. Maybe you did this like in elementary school uh, where you have to just have all these pictures and uh, write a, a, bu- a bunch about your state that you grew up in. And for me, I remember I had um, just done a ton of work for it. I'd cut out pictures. I had taken pictures and got them like printed out. I had to like go to the library and read up on all these books. It was a ton of work. And I remember, I, I, I don't think I'd ever worked so hard on a project. And then I got to school, and my friend told me that it wasn't that hard. He said that he had used something called Google, and I had never heard of Google before. Google would have made things so much easier. He said, you ought to know about Google, right? I don't know about Google, I said. There's some things that you, you need to know about, some things that are going to be so helpful to you that to not use them, to not know about them would be foolish. I think in a much more important way than, than just something for like a school project, the Bible is the truth that you need to know for your life. Paul said in, in 2 Timothy that the Bible is, is able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation. Through Jesus Christ. The Bible tells you truth that's not only helpful to know, it tells you truth that you absolutely need to know. It's not just some some tips that would be helpful on an assignment. It's truth that is life and death. And at the heart of the Bible, the truth that we need to know is about Jesus Christ. And Luke, as he wrote this book, his gospel was concerned with that you would know the truth, that we would know the truth about Jesus Christ. That we would not live our lives without the knowledge of the truth of Jesus. Without Jesus in your life, you are not living life the way it was meant to be lived. And I think this passage, especially in Luke chapter 7, shows us the truth about Jesus in a way that if we did not know it, we would be foolish. To not know about Jesus would be to be missing out on what life is all about. And these three scenes, three stories, three meetings that Jesus has with people show us that Jesus is somebody that we need to know in our own life. As these people come and meet Jesus, it shows us who Jesus is, what he's like, And what that means even for us. 
I think a big idea we can see in, in these verses is that Luke shows us the Jesus that you need to know. Not just a Jesus that might be good to know about, but the Jesus you need to know for your own life. And he shows us through these three interactions that Jesus has with people, starting in verse 1 of chapter 7. At first, we see here that Jesus meets with a centurion. And we can call this number one, that, that Jesus meets with a soldier. Jesus and the soldier. It says this in, in verse 1 of chapter 7. When Jesus had completed all his discourse in the hearing of the people, he went to Capernaum. And a centurion slave, who was highly regarded by him, was sick and about to die. When he heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders asking him to come and save the life of his slave. When they came to Jesus, they earnestly implored him, saying, He is worthy for you to grant this to him, for he loves our nation, and it is he who built our synagogue. Now Jesus started on his way with them, and when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to Jesus, Lord, do not trouble yourself further, for I am not worthy for you to come under my roof. For this reason, I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you, but just say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man placed under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my slave, do this, and he does it. Now when Jesus heard this, he marveled at him, and turned and said to the crowd that was following him, I say to you, not even in Israel have I found such great faith. When those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the slave in good health. Here we have a story of Jesus coming to this familiar place after he has been teaching. He comes to this town, Capernaum. And as he arrives, we're told in verse 2 that there is a centurion whose beloved slave is sick. And he's so sick that he is about to die. Death is coming. Death is at the door. The centurion would have been probably a very powerful man. He was in charge of 100 men. That's why they'd call it a centurion. And they were at times not well liked. But here, this centurion we see is kind of a good guy. I think he, he really has a good reputation. He has cared so much for this slave that he doesn't want him to die. He's highly regarded by him. And so in verse 3, this centurion, the soldier who has this power, has heard what was going on with Jesus, and he sends some elders, Jewish elders, to come and ask Jesus to come and save the life of his slave. Maybe he's run out of every other option that he has, but he has heard something about this guy, Jesus, that's doing these miracles, that's attracting tons of people around him because of what he's been doing. And so he sends the Jewish elders to come and go and speak to Jesus and ask that he would come and heal his slave. And it's kind of funny to see how the, the elders come to Jesus. They kind of start in verse 4 to list off all these reasons why this centurion deserves for Jesus to help him. He says, Jesus loves, they say, Jesus loves our nation. 
or this guy loves our nation, Jesus. He, he, he has money. He's, he cares about us. He even built their synagogue, they said. Surely to them, this man was somebody that deserved to be helped. He had all the, the resume to show for it. Jesus should help him, right? But then in verse 6, Jesus pulls up outside the house. And again, the centurion has sent some guys to come talk to Jesus, some of his friends. And they come and kind of with a different message here. Verse 6, it says that they come to Jesus and say, Lord, do not trouble yourself further, for I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you, Jesus. Here we see that this soldier really does kind of get who Jesus is, doesn't he? He gets who he is before Jesus. Where the Jewish elders thought that this man deserved to be helped, the man realizes himself that he does not deserve the help of someone so awesome as Jesus. It doesn't matter if we've done a few good things in our life, if we've given money to the church, even if we're influential and well-liked by people around us that are religious. Before the Lord Jesus, this man knows that he is a sinner and that Jesus is holy. No matter how powerful, how good or worthy he may have seemed to other people, he knew who he was before Christ. And he says in verse 8, Jesus, I am a man placed under authority. He could tell soldiers and he could tell slaves what to do, and they would do it. He was a guy in charge. But here had come a situation that he couldn't solve. His his slave was about to die. People who are about to die, there's, there's times when there's nothing that anyone can do. Even with all of the medicine that we have, death does happen. And this man knows it. He knows he has nothing to do, and he knows that there is one who might be able to do something. And so he comes to Jesus and says, just say the word. He believed that all Jesus would have to do was just to say a word, and that sickness and the disease would be gone instantly. And in verse 9, Jesus hears this, and it says he marvels. Not even in Israel have I found such great faith. He say, Jesus says that to the crowd that's around him, almost kind of like turning and saying, here's faith that's something that we should look at. This is faith that we should want to have for our own life. The soldier got it right. He's somebody that we should look to as an example of faith. He knew that there was nothing that he could do to deserve Jesus' help. He knew that there was nothing that he could do in his own power to help his slave. And he knew by faith that Jesus was worthy of his trust. He knew that Jesus could do it. That Jesus did have the power and the authority to control sickness and death by just saying a word. He knew that Jesus had the power over life and over death. You know, you may have, have been to somebody's house before. Maybe you have this in your own house, and, and you can say, Alexa, turn the lights on. And you know what happens, right? The lights 
turn on, right? I think that's the exact kind of power Jesus has over even disease and sickness. He can say the word without any effort, and it's done. It happens. And on that real day, this is real history, Jesus healed this man with only a word. He brought him back to full health. He, uh, verse 10 says, almost like a, a side note, had healed the man. Verse 10 is, is, isn't even like a big deal. It says, when they returned to the house, they found the slave was in good health. Who else could do this but Jesus alone? Who is Jesus? What is he like and why should we want to and why, should we, why do we need to know Jesus Christ? Here we see that Jesus is love. He is compassionate. He is kind. Jesus is not cold. He has deep compassion towards people who are hurting. He, know, he knows every sickness and he cares deeply. But we also see here that Jesus has awesome power that even the most powerful people do not have on this earth. He has authority, power like no one else over all disease and all sickness and even over death itself. And Jesus loves to help people who come to him in faith. That's a Jesus that I want to know. That's a Jesus that we should know. But here we see a second scene. And number two, we see Jesus and the widow. Look at verse 11. It says, soon afterwards, he went to a city called Nain, and his disciples were going along with him, accompanied going, uh, by a large crowd. Now, as he approached the gate of the city, a dead man was being carried out, and the only son of his mother, <clears throat> and she was a widow, and a sizable crowd from the city was with her. When the Lord saw her, he felt compassion for her and said to her, do not weep. And he came up and touched the coffin and the bearers came to a halt. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. The dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. Fear gripped them all. And they began glorifying God, saying, A great prophet has risen among us, and God has visited his people. This report concerning him went out over all Judea and in all the surrounding district. Soon after what's just happened here is Jesus has healed this slave. He now comes to a small town called Nain. And here, coming out of Nain, is, is this large crowd meeting uh, as Jesus comes with his large crowd. And verse 12 says that as Jesus approaches the gate, there is a man who has died being carried out. And this is a sad, sad sight to see. There probably would be no sadder sight that we could see. Luke tells us that this was a young man who had died and who was the only son of his mother. His his father had already died. And this woman was left now with, not only without her husband, but without her only son. What a sad sight that would have been. This woman had lost her family. She had lost 
everyone that was close to her. And even she had lost basically all of her income. This woman was probably left to live in poverty, to be a beggar. Who knows what would have been going through her mind in this kind of situation, but just utter grief and sadness. And here the city is with her and they're following her out in her pain. How would she be able to survive? How would she be able to live? Everyone in Nain was was feeling bad for this woman. They felt the sorrow with her. But with perfect love and with total compassion, it says there that Jesus looks to the widow. He stops and, and sees her. Maybe you've been like on the, the freeway before or just around town and you, you see like a bunch of cars that are moving along, like a funeral procession as they're going from uh, maybe the church to a cemetery. And it's good manners. It's not necessarily the law everywhere, but it's good manners for people to pull over out of respect for what's happening. Even today, we know a little bit of what this is like. We feel the sorrow for those people. But for us, there's nothing we can do to help their sorrow, ultimately. There's nothing we can do to bring that person back. And that's kind of what's happening here. Uh, This whole town sees that there's nothing they can do to help this poor woman. But Jesus does something that nobody sees coming. He comes up and he stops the procession. He doesn't just stand on the side out of respect. He walks right up and he does something unthinkable. He says, do not weep. I mean, that would be offensive for Jesus to tell this poor woman that, right? Who are you to tell me not to weep, not to grieve? But then Jesus does something even more astonishing. He touches the dead man. And he speaks to him and says, young man, I say to you, get up, arise. And the young man sat up and began to speak. The funeral was over. This man was alive. The woman's sorrow stopped. And all people are gripped with fear. I bet they were gripped with fear. I would be totally freaked out. I don't know about you. And people are saying, who is this, this Jesus? Who has the power to do this? this is, is this a prophet? Surely this is a prophet. Surely this is something from God. God is, has sent this man. Who is Jesus? What is Jesus like? And why should we want to know Jesus Christ in our own life? I think these verses show us. See, Jesus is more than just a great prophet. There were men in the Old Testament who did very similar miracles, but none of them could simply talk to the man and make him be alive like this. Jesus is more than just a great prophet. And Jesus is more than just uh, somebody God has sent like every other prophet. Jesus is the greatest prophet. Jesus is the very son of God. Only God could do this kind of miracle. And I love how Jesus is described here. He's not somebody, he's not a God who is cold and distant and doesn't care about the circumstances of our life. 
Jesus, again, sees every pain. He sees every sorrow, every sadness that's going on in this woman's circumstances. And he comes right into it with his love and says, stop weeping. I am here. Here we see Jesus' compassion and also, again, his power. He has authority to do what no one else could do to bring even somebody who is dead back to life. Now, we might ask, you know, we don't see Jesus doing this kind of thing today. We don't see Jesus healing people today. We don't see Jesus raising people from the dead today. But we do see Jesus doing this spiritually today. We do see Jesus healing people who are sick with sin and bringing them to health. We see people who are sick and even dead in their trespasses and sins, it says in Ephesians 2. And Jesus is able to bring them to life, to make us no longer hostile to God, but to make us friends with God in his power. We also remember that, that everyone who does die on this earth, who is in Christ, doesn't have only sadness to look forward to. They have new life. If you've died in Christ, you have the hope of resurrection, a real resurrection, where you will be forever with the Lord in glory. That's not just something spiritual. That's physical. That's real. That will really happen. First Corinthians, Paul said, death, where is your sting? Death, where is your victory? If you're a Christian, death will not have victory over you. Death, though it will happen, will not have a sting because you will have eternal life with God in heaven forever. I don't know about you, but this is a Jesus I want to know who has that kind of compassion and power in people's lives. Now, last year we see that one other instance where Jesus comes and, and interacts with people. And, and here it's Jesus and John the Baptist, starting in verse 18. It says that the disciples of John reported to him about all these things. And summoning two of his disciples, John sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the expected one, or do we look for someone else? When the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you to ask, are you the expected one, or do we look for someone else? At that very time, he cured many people of diseases and afflictions and evil spirits, and he gave sight to many who were blind. And he answered and said to them, go and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk the lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up. The poor have the gospel preached to them. Blessed is he who does not take offense at me. John the Baptist, uh, we hadn't really heard from in a while in the book of Luke. And in chapter three, it says that John was thrown into prison by Herod. He basically had called out this, this guy Herod uh, for his wickedness and he faced kind of a backlash from that and got thrown in prison. And so here's John locked up in prison and his disciples are reporting back to him about what's happening with Jesus. 
And I think what's happening is that John has kind of become a little discouraged, maybe. He says to Jesus, are you the expected one? I think John may be wrestling a little bit here. He may be a little bit confused, a little bit doubting. What is Jesus doing? Is he really the expected one that the Bible had promised, that the Old Testament had said would come over and over? Was he really the Messiah, this deliverer that was promised? Well, we can imagine that John, who, was, uh, who had, had really believed in Christ, may have looked around at his prison cell, and, and here he was in this awful place, maybe facing death very soon. And he said to himself, is this really the guy, Jesus? Is Jesus really the one we've been looking for? And so with that doubt, Jesus, uh, John sends this message to Jesus. And remember that John was very godly. He was, he was uh, the greatest man who ever lived, Jesus will soon say. He was a man who definitely did believe in Christ, but he was struggling And so he brings those concerns, that doubt to Christ. And in verse 22, Jesus answers, go and report to John what you have seen. Jesus has healed all of these people. He has done all of these miracles. He has given sight to the blind. He has given hearing to the deaf. He has helped lepers be able to be healed. The lame can now walk and even the dead have been raised again. Tell that to John. This, no doubt, would have been incredibly encouraging to John when he heard what Jesus was doing. We could ask, do we struggle with doubt? I think every Christian goes through this at different seasons. But when you come to Jesus with doubt, he doesn't say, go away from me or figure it out on your own. Jesus shows who he is. He says, let me encourage you, John. Let me give you confidence. Look in the Bible. Look at who it said I'm going to be and look at what I've done. Look at who I am. This book of Luke is real history. It tells us what really happened in the life of Jesus Christ. It shows that everything that the Bible had promised in Jesus was coming true and it was coming true right in front of everyone's eyes. The answer to doubt is to look to Jesus, to look to his word, and to find the truth there. Jesus gave perfect proof. He healed. He gave sight. He caused the lame to walk. Who is Jesus? What is he like? And why should we want to know this Jesus? God's word makes it very clear. This Jesus is the Messiah. He is the one who was promised. He is the expected one. He is the one who has come and brought good news. He has the power to overcome death. He is truth. He is life. He is the greatest one who has ever lived. Jesus really gives a reminder here at the end in this last verse, verse 23. Blessed, happy, is the one who does not take offense at me. Basically, don't be offended by Jesus. Don't be repulsed. Don't turn away from Jesus, but look to him. This is what John did. 
And this is the path of being blessed. This is the way to be happy. Look to Jesus and cling to him. I think we could ask by coming right back to you. We've talked about Jesus and the soldier, Jesus and the widow, Jesus and John the Baptist. What about Jesus and you? Some of the message of Jesus is offensive. To some, the message of Jesus bugs them because it says that you are a sinner and that you are not worthy. It says that you need salvation that you can't find in yourself. But Jesus says, blessed are those who come to him, who do not take offense at him. Luke has been showing us that this is the Jesus you need to know. This is the way of blessing. Any other path is is the opposite. It is a way of curse. But the way of knowing Jesus is the way of life. Those who trust in Christ, even imperfectly, Jesus gives you hope. Jesus gives you peace. Jesus gives compassion. And Jesus gives eternal life. Many people are missing out on knowing Jesus Christ. There's one thing that that they're going in their life without, and that's his word, his truth, the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Here's who Jesus is, and here's what he's like. And this is a Jesus, I don't know about you, but a Jesus I want to know. Let's pray. Our Father, your Son is worthy of all of our faith. He's greater in power and in compassion than we could ever imagine. And Lord, we thank you that you have come in the person of Christ to give us life, to forgive us our sins, and to bring salvation to those who simply come to you and believe. Uh, Lord, may none of those who hear be offended by Jesus, but may they come and find blessing in believing in Jesus. Thank you for the gospel. And thank you for your son, Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.